Hey friends, you're listening to Go Home Baba, You're Drunk, an irreverent media podcast. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. everybody. Welcome to Go Home Bible, You're Drunk, the podcast where we dust off our Bibles and see if there's anything good still in there. My name is Justin. I am a seminary dropout and all-around biblical guru from what I hear on the internet. Yes, I love it. And I'm Tori Williams Douglas. I am a Bible school, Bible college, whatever, dropout. And um, yeah, I've, because of my family background, I have read the Bible, like cover to cover over a dozen times, which is kind of sad because I, I wish I could have that time back. But it's, you know, there are sometimes there are weird parts. So here we are talking about the weird shit. Yeah. I don't know that you would know about so much of the weird shit if you That's hadn't true. had that time. That's true. I would not. We wouldn't have this podcast. Yeah. So the weird shit is, is paying off, I guess. Yes, weird shit. All the homeschool people listening know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I was not that extreme. I just went through a private school that was full of former homeschoolers that needed socialization. So. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, that's rough. Okay. We're going we're gonna to have to say a prayer for them. Anyway, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so this week in evangelicalism, which is actually not this week because we're recording several weeks ahead still, which is not the worst thing, but um, yeah. yeah, so Russell Moore, who was, I can't ever remember, like, I can't get the letters right, but he was the president of, let me look at this and make sure I can say Oh, Russell Moore, why are you like this? Um, so essentially Russell Moore was like, I can't do SBC anymore because there's sexual abuse happening here. Um, and, and, and people don't want to look into it. And people like the people are not doing a good enough job looking into it. Um, and yeah, essentially he decides to like quit and then he transfers to a different church that is an Acts 29 church, which is a church network that was created by Mark Driscoll, who is also a known abuser and stalker, um, who uses church funds to uh, harass his daughter's boyfriend. Um, that guy started Acts 29 
um, and then was subsequently kicked out <laughs> after he couldn't get his shit together, like with everything that was happening at Marcel. How so, many of his organizations has he started and then later and been removed kicked, from? Removed from at least two. At least two. I think he's going on three. So anyway, Acts 29 uh, attracts some people of questionable character, shall we say. Um, and it's also like, it's not, it's not really a departure from, I mean, it's not like, it's not that different in terms of like how they would handle sexual assault, right? Like no. an Acts 29 church is not going to handle sexual, uh, like sexual assault being committed any differently than anyone in the SVC. Yeah. And this is not going to happen. Another reason Russell Moore left was because of the rise of the ultra conservative wing of the SBC and kind of the, the hardcore Calvinist, you know, much more like the Southern Baptist convention, at least my experience with it has been, yeah, we're Calvinist, but we're, we're kind of Calvinist. You could be right. a Baptist and, but the ultras, ultras mm-hmm. is what some people have called them. Uh, are much more conservative. And I think that's reflective of a lot of evangelicalism is getting more conservative, not less. Right. And, and Acts 29 is very strict Calvinist theology, complementarianism, which is, you know, that the man is the, that it, it's actually a very, it's very good branding. Complementarianism is very good branding. Mm-hmm. The idea is that men and women complement each other and they work together. And they come together seamlessly into this whole that God created. Doesn't that sound semi-wonderful? It Except sounds, it sounds like protect and serve being on cop cars. Yes, exactly. It's great branding, but <laughs> right. when you really dig into it, it's that the man is the head of the wife, mm-hmm. and the wife must do what the man says. Mm-hmm. That is typically, you know, it's it's, it's understood that that's a mutually loving relationship, but many times it becomes abusive or um, particularly sexually abusive or physically abusive. And, you know, when you financially get- Financially abusive? Financially abusive, for sure. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because the man controls the finances because he's the one that works. Mm-hmm. And the woman is the one that is in the house with the kids. So even if she wanted to leave, her ability to have skills and support herself is greatly diminished, especially if okay. she's been in this for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. All this to say- he is transferring membership. And I think a lot of, you know, Baptist folk and more conservative evangelicals are transferring membership as well, but they seem to be transferring membership to denominations and movements that just haven't been investigated yet. Not necessarily ones that Mm. actually have any different theology. Are on the level. Yeah. And I think that this is, you know, I've, I've heard people say this before. People are saying, according to Trump, um, many people are saying that, uh, like, the sexual abuse crisis in the, like, white evangelical church, at least, is just as bad as what we found out about the Catholic church. But because most of these churches are autonomous or just very loosely connected, there's not, like, someone at the top who's like keeping all of the records right um it's like you know whatever the pastor decides to do and you know it's his paycheck and i mean it's not it's not it's not every single like extra well i don't know i don't know most x29 churches are actually kind of big um 
least the ones that I've heard about. And uh, yeah, it's like, well, here's the thing, sexual abuse is happening all over the place still. Um, just cause you're, just cause you're not looking for it doesn't mean it is not there. Yeah. Which sucks. It sucks. I, like it, it seems kind of, yeah. It seems like it is a systemic problem. Yeah, I don't know of anyone in evangelicalism that doesn't know, I'm guessing five to 10 people that were abused in some way. It's like in, the, in the church? Like in the church. It just seems to me that, okay. that everyone mm-hmm. knows somebody. Everyone mm-hmm. knows it happens. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows somebody that was abused by yep. a pastor, a preacher, a volunteer, whatever. Yeah. And it's almost like no one puts together that right. maybe this is a big problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause all every profession, you know, they'll so throw out something about grace or every profession has it. There's bad apples in every bunch. This is very similar to what they do with the police. Um, <laughs> you know, that was just, that was the one bad apple. And now that we've cleansed out the bad apple, it's not going to happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I, but it keeps happening. Every time it happens, it could be at the same church, could be the same guy. Yeah. Because these, these churches are so congregationally led there. Like you said, right. there isn't a network. Someone can easily go from one church to another church to another oh, yeah. church and have multiple pat strings of abuse. Hey and... cops, are you listening to this? We're on to you. <laughs> yeah. And and so that is that is a, a big problem. And it's mm. interesting to me that the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, the SBC Executive Committee Vice President, I can't pronounce his name, Augie Boto, Boto. Okay, cool. Uh, Love it. He said that the public focus on addressing abuse, this is actually from a news article on religion mm. dispatches written by Chrissy Stoop. Um, friend of the pod. I don't I don't know Chrissy, but I'm gonna say friend of the pod because Yeah, yeah. Go like her. Uh, anyway, uh, anyway, sorry, it's a digression Call and in. a half. <laughs> Basically, he said this public focus on addressing abuse is a satanic scheme to completely distract us from evangelism. So we shouldn't be investigating these sexual abuse allegations because that is a satanic attack that prevents us from evangelizing and it distracts it's a distraction i mean this this is this is literally what they've been saying about racial justice mm-hmm. is this is a distraction from the gospel mm-hmm. which i mean makes sense it's like they're literally a slaver denomination like that's why they exist they're um, the southern baptist convention for yeah. all the reasons you imagine they mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're southern for a reason. Um, not to trash on the south. The south is fucking awesome. Just the yeah. bad guys need to clear them out. Um, yeah, it, this is this is it's so this seeing this play out over and over and over again is so frustrating, right? Yeah. And it's like everybody is supposed to be held accountable, but actually, no, not really. Not the pastor, right? Everybody's accountable to him, but he's not accountable to anybody, mm-hmm. and you know it's something that since we keep making these kind of comparisons to the cops cops commit domestic violence significantly more frequently than the general population so i'm kind of wondering like if pastors commit more sexual assault 
than the general population. It would make sense to me. It would make a lot of sense because you're in a position of power with almost no oversight. Yeah. And, and, and not just like, you're in a position of spiritual power, which is fake. So you can make it as extensive, as expansive as you want it to be. Yeah. Your badge of authority is as mm -hmm. big as you can make it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are people that are so invested in keeping the system looking good that they will cover up for you. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and police departments are similar, but at a certain point though, there's someone with a camera that eventually one or two cops gets held accountable. Whereas all this sexual abuse in the church happens behind closed doors mm -hmm. and there's spiritual pressure for women to stay quiet. And mm -hmm. I should say, I should say victims to stay quiet because boys are- Yeah, that's a good point. Well. Mm -hmm. Victims to stay quiet. And, you know, don't, don't besperch the good name of the man of God. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, yeah, that's, that's literally their theology. And so that's what they tell people who have been mm -hmm. groomed and abused is that like, yeah, it's a distraction from the gospel. Mm -hmm. Like, so you need to just confess, repent, because usually, like, usually in these situations, it's actually the victim who has to repent yes. for causing the, uh, for causing the person, the other, the person with power to yep. stumble, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, because men in church should not ever be held accountable for their own actions. It is always titties that are the problem yep. every single time. Just saying. Um, so if that wasn't a thing, Hey, there you go. This no boobs in church. I love this. I solved the problem for you guys. Yeah, I think there would actually be quite a few pastors that would be fine with no boobs in church, like an all. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. They would really dig that. They would probably also be the kind of pastors that would want women in public to wear, you know, those a head covering, a head covering, and a moo moo, just mm -hmm. to you know completely cover her. But you don't have a body. Yeah, you're not allowed to have a body. You're not allowed to have a body. Because it's just a bucket of sin. A bucket of sin. Yeah, I got in a lot of trouble as a youth pastor when mm -hmm. on uh, we went on you know, trips and we would stay in a hotel or something. And I would let girls wear swimsuits that they were comfortable in. Mm -hmm. I, would, I would tell them, I said, you know, because there would be like a pool or something at the right. hotel and kids want to play in the pool. Great, play in the pool. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say where you, my two rules for swimsuits is it needs to be something that fits, you know, cause some, some girls in the two piece, it's like, you know, everywhere. So it needs to fit. Yeah. You. I, as, as somebody who s falls out of her two piece swimsuit all the time, I can attest to that being a yeah. problem. <laughs> my rules are just where it needs to be fit, fit you. And it needs yeah. to be something you're comfortable in. And that was the only rule. I didn't make any weird, like, yeah. Has to have ruffles to hide your breasts or something strange. <laughs> And I got oh so much shit for, because most most of the girls wore one pieces anyway. Any, yeah. It just that's just what they did anyway. There's a couple girls that wore tasteful, quote unquote, two pieces. Fifteen mm -hmm. year old girl two pieces. Right. Yeah. And, totally. Totally. And it was fine. You know, it was like, I'm not lusting after them. None of my volunteers because I've vetted them and right. they went through background checks. And if they were losers, I kicked them out. Right. So, but it's just interesting that this 
this idea that women are the ones that make men sin and they have to mm-hmm. cover up and the boys mm-hmm. just can't handle themselves. And I would talk to the boys, like, boys, you got to figure out your, you got to figure your shit out. Yeah. You, you know, don't be just drooling over some girl publicly. Like, that's weird. Don't do that. Right. And it's interesting to me that Russell Moore is panned as this too liberal Southern Baptist mm-hmm. when, you know, he's saying things like women that are abused in their relationship should be able to leave, go to the mm-hmm. police and leave mm-hmm. and seek legal justice. And he's considered too liberal for the Southern Baptist convention. Mm-hmm. I think that that's crazy to me. Yeah. What's, what sticks out to me in all of this is just the fact that, you know, it, I agree that, you know, there are people in the Southern Baptist Convention who are becoming a lot more liberal, but I would, as, as a cohort, like white American evangelicals are bordering on extremism. Yes. Like millions of people are at this point bordering on extremism. Um, yes. And so, yeah, I, it's just, it's kind of, it's like out of the frying pan and into the fire, I guess. Like, I don't really know what his, what his move was here. It feels kind of lateral to me. Yeah. And it's, and it's not just Baptist either. The Wesleyan church was, a, which is a smaller um, denomination that I came from, uh, similar to United Methodism in theology uh, comes from John Wesley for the most part. And there are Facebook groups for Wesleyan pastors that I've mostly left one or two of them I ended up a member of accidentally. But if you were to go to them now, they are shills for Trump 100% and oh utterly vile when it comes yeah. to comments yeah. about the LGBTQ population mm-hmm. and many other things. And it's gotten worse over the years. Mm-hmm. If I wouldn't have gotten fired when I did, I would have definitely been fired by now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Simply because I haven't... I'm not for this descent into ultra conservatism. Certain amount of conservatism is fine to me. I don't have a problem with, there's a lot of conservatives I like. I enjoy talking with them. They have good points. I have good points. And we have a back and forth. But you can have a conversation, but that's the number of people at this point who you can have a conversation with. It's getting smaller and smaller. It's dropping precipitously. Yes. Yes. Good times. Yeah. That Good was times. Scary. Cool. Yeah. Anyway. That was cool. Anyway, let's. Cheers. I'll. I'll drink to that. Trauma. <laughs> um, That's yes. what this is. Actually, I, I was going to comment that this is probably the first time we're recording that I actually am drinking something. Um, drinking so a a fine a fine beer from Jackie O's Mystic Mama. So mm-hmm. it is a is a Ohio brewery, I believe. Anyway, so we have a drinking game for you today. If all that stuff about the SBU is driving you to drink, you're in luck because this is a drinking podcast where we do have a drinking game uh, where we tell a Bible story and we ask you to look for something. And if you see that, you take a drink. If you're someone that doesn't drink, that's fine. Find something else to do. Just kind of listen for these cues. They're interesting. They're fun. It's a fun game. Playing a fun game. So every time... Uh, We're going to talk about Jonah today, and every time he gets really whiny, you take a drink, Mm because Jonah, of all the prophets, I wouldn't say he's the most whiniest, but he is, you know, Jeremiah was, Jeremiah whined a lot, 
But he also went through some shit. I mean, I guess Jonah went through some shit, but he also yeah. didn't because I, I don't know. It's mostly self inflicted. It was mostly, mostly self inflicted. <laughs> if he would have just gone to Nineveh and not done the detour thing, he would not have gone through all the shit that he went through. So every time Jonah is a little whiny, take a drink because mm-hmm. no one's got time to deal with that anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, sweet. Tori's going to have our story. We're going to do the second half of Jonah. This is part two. Jonah part two. So this is, oh my gosh, it's so exciting. Cause this is, this is like, like Noah and the Ark. This is very much a story that we're told, um, like as very small people in Sunday school. And, uh, it's like, what, what precisely is, is the moral of this? But anyway, when we last lost, when we last left our friend Jonah, he had just been vomited up by a fish <laughs> onto the Sure, I'm assuming this is like the Mediterranean Sea that they're talking about because Nineveh is like east from there. So um, anyway, he, you know, shakes all the seaweed off and God's like, okay, trying this a second time. Like go to Nineveh, tell them to repent. So Jonah obeys this time. And I just, I do love the fact that he is just a completely he's such a drama queen and I'm like living for it. Um, he's like, and like, this is a random note that is in here too. It says that Nineveh was, Nineveh is a very large city. It took three days to go through it. What does, what, what? Is this like the burbs? Like, the burbs? yeah, it's like the city that's like in the walls and then the city like spreads out. I don't know. That's, that's a long time. I don't Maybe think to hit every was- neighborhood. I don't know. Yeah, three days. <laughs> I don't think that Nineveh was ever that big. That's something that I should have Googled. What was the biggest population of Nineveh? Um, so Jonah goes around all over. I guess he is going to every neighborhood because he's got to tell everybody you need to repent because um, God is angry with you and you have 40 days to get your shit together or you're done. So. And for some reason, this guy saying this thing like, the king finds out about it. And the it's king, not even a good message. It's, not even, it's like you have 40 days. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Wait a second. Think about like think about if Sodom and Gomorrah had 40 days <laughs> to get their shit together. Yeah. That's a good that's a good point. Why weren't they given 40 days? It was like, nope, burn this mother down. Okay. <laughs> It doesn't, not- tell him, it doesn't tell him why. It doesn't give him a thing to do. Just in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And he's just yelling that for three days. Just- yeah, just walking around. Town crier. I don't know. And um, But the king, for some reason, is just like down with this. And he's like, okay, well, apparently I have fucked up. So, you know, put on sackcloth, sit in the dust, like, which again, like king is very dramatic, which I'm okay with. Drama queens. <laughs> Drama queens all over the place. Um, and so the king basically decrees that everybody has to fast. The people and the animals have to be covered in sackcloth, which I'm like, why the animals? Do you know, I was gonna ask you about this because you're like the actual pastor, like why did the animals have to be covered in sackcloth? You know, I, I don't know. I think it's just to show the seriousness I do find it interesting that the animals get mentioned a couple times in this, in these last two chapters. And I, I don't really know why 
that there's they were living this, in sin also. I guess so. The <laughs> animals being in proximity to the sinful people were also sinful. And maybe this is a weird Joshua callback because it's I don't I don't know. Mm, I don't know. So it's so strange. Everything about this is so strange. Anyway, um, so basically the king then takes over Jonah's job and is like, hey, you all need to repent because God is gonna destroy the city if we don't do that. And um so the people repented because you know he's the king. They don't they don't have much of a choice. And um God decided, well hey, this worked. I don't need to destroy Nineveh, which, mm-hmm. and like, how was Nineveh worse than any other city at the time? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So Jonah gets big mad at this. He's like, so wait a second. Mad. He's like, I went through all of this shit, which again, self-inflicted, but <laughs> he's like, why didn't you destroy them? You made me look like an idiot, God. Um, <laughs> it's like, which I don't know, like, I, I have to think about this, like putting myself in Jonah's shoes, like what, how would you feel? I mean, I feel like I would be happy-ish, I don't know. Yeah, it, the motivation of Jonah, until you really get to the end, and even mm-hmm. then it's a little ambiguous, his motivation is mm-hmm. strange. Because yeah, did he know that God was going to have them repent? And so he didn't want to look like a false prophet for saying they were going to be destroyed. That's right. one possible interpretation. Or did he know God? What the chapter four, he talks about, I knew you'd be merciful, but right. Yeah. But it's a very strange. And was he worried about his reputation or Israel's rep? I don't know. Like, yeah. And he's a whiny guy. So he's probably worried about all of it at some point. Fair. You know, he's, just, he's, he's in his feels right now. It's all coming up. Yeah, he is. And like, again he's like he's mad at god which i love because i remember like as a kid you like you weren't allowed to be mad at god Mm. at least in in our theology that was not okay you had to be happy at god Mm. (laughs) or god would be mad at you i'm in right right, (laughs) because god does not believe happy all the time does not believe in the full spectrum of human emotion Mm -mm. that is in second john if i recall correctly and um i actually don't remember what verses they use for this but yeah, so Jonah's like, okay, well, this didn't happen. I'm leaving. And just like throws, basically, he just like throws some shit and like kicks a rock and like gets out of town. Mm-hmm. He's just like, I'm so done with this. Yeah. Um, and so he, he goes out and he's just like making, he makes himself a shelter, which makes total sense to me because from, from my understanding, like Palestine is a very hot, arid place most of the year um and then he just like sits down under this little this little leaf tent that he made and he's just like watching the city to see if god would destroy it um and again i'm just like why are you so committed to people dying like you literally just told them to repent of violence and now you're like mad that people aren't being murdered by god and he and he says like this is why i left I didn't want to come here because I knew you were, I knew you were merciful. And now I'm in, so this now was I'm all for big nothing. mad, I'm big mad, I'm pouty. I'm in my like, you know, drinking my white boxed wine and mm-hmm. I'm just like so mad Yeah. I'm in my shelter. Yeah. I'm going to see if God, you know, let's see if some fireworks start. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he kind of, it feels like he's waiting for like Sodom and Gomorrah, like start raining down some fire guys. Like that's what you said was going to happen here. Um, and so I don't really understand like verses five and six, because like Noah makes himself a shelter, but then God, the next verse immediately, God provides a leafy plant to give Jonah shade. Again, that was kind of nice of God, I guess. Like, I don't, I don't feel like, I don't feel like frequently God is not looking out for someone. (laughs) Not like this. Um, and also I'm just like, what kind of plant was this? Cause I'm like, I like, I like sitting under leafy plants. I yeah, there's, this was. there's some interpretations that say it was like a gourd, like some kind of viney. How do you sit under a gourd? Like some kind of big leaf, viney kind of gourd. Oh, okay, 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 okay. okay. That, I'm like, it wasn't sitting just, under a pumpkin. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> a big giant pumpkin, Cinderella style, <laughs> made him like a tent. That's what we'll say. That would stink. That yeah. would stink. Dead pumpkin. You gotta mm-hmm. love In the desert. <laughs> um, so... God did this to make Jonah feel better, apparently. And Jonah felt so much better. And then the next day, God's like, nope. And just like, apparently sends a worm to just cut down his shade. Yeah. Just gets right into the gourd. Starts going at it. And then also, like, while this is happening, like, the God sends this, like, scorching east wind is what the NIV says. <laughs> I don't know what this means, but I'm sure it made sense at the time. Um, and so... Jonah's now just like out in the elements again, right? And so he's like, he's pissed at God because God didn't destroy everything. And then God gives him this little leafy plant so that he can like rest. And then he wakes up in the morning and God is in the process of destroying the plant that he gave him. And so Jonah is now mad again, which I complete, like, if this were your parent, if God were your parent, you'd be pissed too. Yeah. Yeah, he's... Jonah's like, I would rather die than live. I love how dramatic he is. It's like God kills the plant and he's like, well, my life is over. It's over this now. Is, this is this is the end. <laughs> I'm in the heat. Nineveh's spared. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> this is awful. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Nothing went according to plan. Yeah. You know, I guess it didn't. But I think that your point is like literally the last, literally the last question in the book, like the last words in the book are like talking about how God spared 120,000 people, question mark on that number, because because the Bible doesn't do numbers well. Um, and also spared many animals. Yes, the animals were spared as well, because they wore sackcloth. <laughs> They repented. Oh, can you imagine trying to get all your chickens to repent and wear sackcloth? <laughs> that would be having having recently took care of a couple of chickens at my sister-in-law's. No, I cannot imagine wrapping them in sackcloth. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. It's like, well, okay. I don't know. So this, again, like this story is really just like, obey God or God is going to send a monster from the sea that didn't exist previously to murder you. Yeah. That was like the theology. Yeah. But it, that's because we usually cut off our teaching of it at chapter three. Yeah. We don't typically talk about the gourd or vine or shade plant whatever and no not noah i keep saying noah because noah's super pissy too so i'm really getting them confused <laughs> jonah jonah noah. lots of lots of jonah. sounds jonah getting really pissy and being mad that god spared them because i to me the rhetorical punch of this story that somewhat still makes it relevant is in chapter four mm-hmm. because because mm-hmm. I think a lot of Christians and I would even say people that are atheists and non-believers we want to see the bad guys or people we imagine the bad guys to be lose we want mm-hmm. to see them suffer that's I think that's, I think there's a human compulsion sometimes particularly in these okay. high demand religions to be like I want to see them punished. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. yeah. I was right I'm right with God I have the right God and you people don't and you live violent awful lives so you should be punished and so it's it's a fi- funny thing like we we preach a message of grace you know Christians preach a message of grace but when it comes down to it and people, we don't they, actually want function yeah we don't I, I don't think a lot of Christians actually want the liberals to repent because then who would they be angry at? Mm. Who would they have to hate? Mm. They might have to end up like Jonah and real and have to like sit with your real feelings for a bit and feel real bad. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think the rhetorical punch and what is, I think makes this story a good story. I think if it's just one through three, yeah, it's just God makes weird animals to eat you if you disobey him. <laughs> Um, and, and the character of God is is interesting in this book. We can get deeper into it, but I I find it that that is the that that human compulsion to other people and to simultaneously pay lip service to the idea that we want them to come in and be like us, but we really don't. We like them to be other. We don't want the good things that we have to be shared with other people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's not really an indication that the Ninevites became Jewish, I guess, real followers, yeah. of, like real yeah. follow, re, quote unquote, real one. followers of God. Uh-huh. They, the right God. The right the God. God. They just, you know, they prayed to God, but there's no indication that they were circumcised. You know, this is, you know, we, Ooh. it wouldn't be a go home Bible Cheating. podcast without talking talk about, about circumcision. <laughs> But, the, but there is no mention of it. It's That's an interesting thing, too. Like, they didn't convert, really. They right. just asked to be spared. And they turned from their violent ways. So this could be, like, a social justice thing. They became mm-hmm. a, a better city, generally mm-hmm. speaking. But it's not a better city that's now worshiping Yahweh. It's just a better city that isn't quite as violent. Mm-hmm. And God mm-hmm. seems to be happy with that. And Jonah's mm-hmm. pissed off about it. Yeah, I mean, I really, I, I think that you really made an amazing point about 
grace and how, you know, growing up in church, that's what we talk about all the time. And that's ultimately why I ended up leaving was because I thought that the people who were preaching this believed it, but I realized like when it comes to black people, like there's no more grace, like the grace is gone. Mm -hmm. Um, it's all used up. Uh, and you know, I, I think that built into so much like white American theology is yeah, this idea that we want people to suffer. Mm -hmm. right we we don't say that right we say we want them to repent but the the function like the way that white american christians function in the world is very frequently like anything but grace essentially yes right it's very like my way or the highway you know you are evil i am good there's just this binary that's all there is um and for them, you know, it's also a matter of, of belief versus value, right? So you're claiming these beliefs, but your values are very, very different, right? Like, yeah, police brutality, whatever, thin blue line, like I'm here for it. And it's like, oh, we're dropping bombs on babies in Yemen. Why are we doing this? This is not okay. And it's like, well, the military, like, yeah, but we, we don't need to have hundreds of bases overseas, right? It's like, there's... They want to be like, I don't want to say they want to be the aggressors, right? But they have this idea of like preemptive violence yeah, to keep people like to keep the bad people, which is usually non-white people and queer people and disabled people, generally speaking, like those are sort of the groups that are the bad guys in their view. Um, like they, they, they support policies where they want people to suffer. Like, you know, I, I think it's, it's it's so interesting to like to listen to people like white people talking about um the homelessness problem in portland because there are a lot more unhoused people now because of the pandemic and um you know, people are so people like people who have means are just so angry about this yeah um you know including including like white evangelical christians who live here they're just they're so mad it's like we well, literally support policies that lead to homelessness right they just they couldn't even admit that to themselves i don't think no but you know so it's really interesting how they like use these words but the the way that they function in the world is kind of like diametrically opposed to what they say from the pulpit um and yeah honestly that's literally why i left yeah i i found a very similar thing as well when i was really questioning a lot of things it was my, my really opening up to being LGBTQ affirming was asking the question, what does this belief do to people? Yeah. This was around like Chick-fil-A day, if you remember that watershed <laughs> moment. And it was, it was a big moment for a lot of people, I think, at least for me, where it's like, I'm like, what does this belief is believing this thing? that yeah. these people do not deserve to express love. We yes. will block, we will legally block them from expressing love or we will block them from- Or even, their, even themselves, like even yeah. like not even love, like just you may not express yourself, period. Yes, period. Um, it, and that, it was actually very enlightening to see the reaction to, I think as some people were talking about, well, what if Jesus was gay? And, and what if he was a non-practicing gay man? What if he was a celibate gay man? And the- Theobrogens that were losing their shit over that 
Mm. When the funny thing is, most of them would say, oh, a celibate gay person is fine. They're right. not sinning. But right. if you say, well, what if Jesus was a celibate gay man? Oh, they, like, they, oh, no. lose, they lose their, because he's got to be this masculine icon. Anyway, that was a free digression. Yeah, but, <laughs> he wasn't a masculine icon, though. I'm not just, I gotta at be honest. all. <laughs> so, like, every time we, I would get in these theological discussions about, like, the masculinity of Jesus, I would always bring up that he compared himself to a mother hen. Like, of all the birds yeah. he could pick. Yeah. <laughs> all the powerful birds in the ancient Near East. He picked yeah. a mother hen as his like little, you know, I, I want to be like a mother hen and gather you up. Anyway, uh, so like, what does this theology do to people? What does it create in you when you- yeah. How does it function you in the world? believe these things? And yeah. why, do you, why is it that you aggressively try to limit the rights of these people? Mm-hmm. Like I, I was pro-choice even as a conservative evangelical for mm-hmm. the most part, because I felt like, it is not my job in a secular republic right. to enforce my morality on other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, that, that's the funny thing. Like America is not a Christian nation by any stretch of the imagination, at least how it was ideally supposed to function. Mm-hmm. But you have people that not only believe that their way is the right way, but their way is the way that everyone has to live mm-hmm. no matter what. And they're very much like Jonah. They get all pouty and in their feels and you see it with all these complaints and crying about cancel culture and everything. And really what it is is that you're losing cultural prominence mm-hmm. and you feel bad about that. Mm-hmm. And the world is actually getting better without you. Right. You know, we're like, fine, screw it. We're going to start taking care of poor people without you. Yeah. We're going to start, you know, trying to make peace without you. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to do re- racial reconciliation in this country. And I know that's not a great word, but we're trying to heal these wounds that mm-hmm. are historical and systemic. And we're going to just do it without you. And they're yeah. like, oh, critical race theory is terrible. Like if you, if you would believe it if you would like listen to it. And like most of you would totally nod your head to it. But because it doesn't involve you, you're mad about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think Jonah is a perfect icon of evangelicalism right now yeah in in chapter four i yeah i absolutely love that it's a great take i'm a big fan um so i have a question yeah um in the movie jonah who should play jonah yeah well we talked about this last time and i think i said I think chapters one and two, I may have said Paul Rudd, just because I was going for that kind of com- the comedic angle. Right. But this, this like three and four are very story. different. They are very different. And, you know, I, I gotta say, if I'm going to pick a person to really like channel that kind of angsty, I'm going to say like Tobey Maguire or something like the sad face Tobey Maguire. <laughs> I think that that would be a very good, a very good avatar for Jonah in chapters three and four. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. So three and four for me. I mean, I kind of feel. I kind of feel like I want to say Chris Pratt just because he is an evangelical, so he's already got this shit nailed. <laughs> it's not. A, it's not actually an acting job for him. This is just real life. <laughs> real life. <laughs> you could just put him on a hill and say, "Imagine that city is in, is." embracing critical race theory mm-hmm. action 
tears, whining, crying. <laughs> he's so easy for her. Yeah, it'd be a piece of cake. Oh my gosh, this is yeah. It, it, okay, so also the point the point that you made about like God kind of being several different characters in the book. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it, it, like to me, it feels like God kind of is like all over the place, which I feel like is very common in Old Testament books anyway. Like we don't really. It's so common that when you're in evangelicalism, you don't even talk about it. It's just like, no, God, God's not, there's not multiple gods. There's one God. They just happen to have 170,000 names. Um, and yeah, I think it's like, there's like this very weird whiplash um, with like the, I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to take care of you. Why are you mad at me for taking away something that you actually literally needed to live? Yeah. which i'm like this is like this is where this is where like apparently my parents got their theology of child rearing <laughs> yeah so yeah there's i don't know this book has a lot of playing, a lot of impact playing tricks on your kids mm-hmm. you know because because the point of that little plant was god made it and then god destroyed it and he's like, why are you pouting about this plant when you just, you know, there's a hundred and some odd thousand people living in Nineveh. Why aren't you happy? You know, why are you pouting over a plant? Yeah. And like, that just seems so petty. <laughs> and seems very much like an evangelical dad to like play the, the trick on their yeah. kids to teach them the, like the long con, like the week long trick. Mm-hmm. It's like on Friday, gotcha. You didn't fold that laundry I deliberately put in the way. You're a sinner. <laughs> yep. yep. Could have asked, Dad. I'm a teenager. Wait, like, just to say something. And that, if that was a weirdly specific example. That was a very, a yeah, yeah, very <laughs> weirdly <reason>. specific example. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like, yeah, I'm going to see if you're going to obey me, but I'm not going to say anything. It's a test. I'm going to test you. Why? Why are you so into tests? Like, this is weird and unhealthy. This is a great way for me to not trust you. And tests are not reflective of my ability or my desire or, like, my energy. It's just you arbitrarily assigning a number to a thing that I did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. God God is funny. But, you know, he provided a worm. (laughs) It's yeah. been a big worm. <laughs> Some big ass fucking worm. fucking gourd. Now I would cry. Legit, I would cry if some big ass worm came up out of the ground <laughs> and started gobbling my shade tree. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's that it's that it's that it's that episode of The Mandalorian. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. It's the spider. That's that's the worm. Oh my no, gosh. not the spiders. No, the worm. Oh, that the, like, giant snaky, worm thing. The yeah. snaky thing. The crazy dragon. Know. Yeah. That thing was cool, but I remember the episode with the spiders. That made me. That was scary. Uncomfortable. Okay. In a lot of ways. How are we talking about Star Wars right now? I don't know. <laughs> the worm. The worm is how we got it. Worms. The worm. The giant worms. So it, it is. It is fascinating to me that this story. I think to me, it still has a lot of rhetorical punch. I think. I still like it. I think then that I find that interesting that I still like it. Um, One because I think it does illustrate evangelicals, like I had said before. But I think it also it can convict me as well, in the sense that you know sometimes I can feel 
rather self-righteous and mm. I can feel very um, the same way that maybe a conservative Christian would not want, like would has that, I want you to repent, but I don't want you to repent. Mm-hmm. I have a similar feeling, I think sometimes toward my more conservative friends and, you know, people that are evolving that way, maybe people that have hurt me and mm. in some way with their conservatism or with their use of scripture, like if they decided to yeah. w- wake up, which I hate that word, but whatever, if they decided to, you know, apologize to me later and seek my mm. forgiveness, would I want that? Would I, like I say, I would want that. Sure. Yeah. Come on over to our side. It's, it's more people not voting for Trump. Great. Mm-hmm. But, but at the same time, do I get something out of being the person that quote unquote gets it? Um, and I think that the story of Jonah speaks to that a little bit and kind of mm. pushes that button a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, and so I think it still has a potency there if it's used properly. Yeah, that's a good point. I like it a lot. Honestly, I've, like I was always a fan of the minor prophets. Like, I feel like they're all, they're all in their feels, hundred <laughs> percent. And um, I, I guess maybe just like as a teen, I really, that really resonated with me. <laughs> but like yeah like the minor prophets are basically my favorite books um and but i like i didn't really care about jonah growing up because like i've heard this story so many times like whatever you know like habakkuk let's talk about that motherfucker um hosea also like that's an interesting story like that's a very interesting plot God is again kind of a jackass about all of this, but whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's but, very much a performance art aspect to the minor oh prophets. Yes. Oh my. Well, also Jeremiah, mm-hmm. Ezekiel too. So the prophets just generally. Yeah, the performance art. Yeah, but 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 to lead people to repentance, <laughs> lay on your side for 340 days. <laughs> whatever the number was it was an obscene number i don't like it yeah makes me feel bad yeah i don't know how i feel about this still like at like now at this juncture yeah Um, did it speak to you at all even when you were an evangelical i mean i thought it was interesting like i thought that the dynamic between between god and moses especially in chapter four was interesting because it's not that's not at all how people talk about God in the church, right? It's like, we talk about God every single week, multiple times a week. And nobody ever talks about like this side of God where he's kind of being a jerk, like being manipulative mm-hmm. and like, and, and not just being a jerk, but like being a jerk to make a point to like one dude. Yeah. And then throwing it in his face that it's like that, you know, you, you did this, you did what I said. So here, now I'm going to be a dick to you, but setting that aside, because I wasn't allowed to think of God in those terms. Um, I did think that the the dynamic, the back and forth was really interesting. And, and, you know, Jonah's really high highs and really low lows. That you can't be angry at God and he won't Mm -hmm. instantly smite you. He may play with you a little. But yeah, he's gonna bat you around. He's gonna bat you around a bit. But that you can be angry with God was 
something that I think, I don't know that I was ever told that you couldn't be angry at God as a kid, but like all negative emotions and Mm -hmm. conservative evangelicalism, you can only feel it for so long. Yeah. You know, or, or if you, yeah. So if you tell the story of, I am angry at God, you have to put a bow on the end of it. That's, and now I'm not because God's so good. Revangelical. <laughs> Revangelical, yes. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I doubted, but now I don't because God's right. amazing. Or I, you know, whatever, insert negative emotion. Mm-hmm. And, and even sadness basic grief at someone dying yeah like it's not really allowed or it's seen as a thing you're not supposed to do well it's it's kind of seen as like being disrespectful to god because like god's in control and so whatever he decides goes Mm -hmm. right it's like i don't know it was yeah it was very very strange but yeah it's like you weren't there was no there was no actual grief or repentance like where i grew up at least like ever that i can remember yeah i don't i don't see that i haven't seen it and in some ways i almost think it's gotten a little bit worse i went to Mm -hmm. a funeral for a person that died i want to try to include identifiers as much as possible but right (laughs) it it felt very and i'm i'll just say Enneagram speak, I'm an Enneagram seven. Negative emotions are not my home. I'll just say that. And, but I remember even thinking, like, this is wrong. Mm. Like, sitting in this funeral, like, feeling this mm. sense of wrongness. Like, we're not, you're painting this as this happy event, or yeah. we're singing worship songs oh, and, yeah. and just praising God. And th- there is certainly a, a moment to, pause and reflect on God if that was important to the person that died or important to people that are still alive. Right. Yeah. I don't have a problem with religious things in a funeral. That's but it's just the tone. Like we're not supposed to be sad. God's great. And mm-hmm. like uh mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I I don't like that just felt like very I've been to several funerals like this. I guess I could say mm-hmm. gen, my general experience of evangelical funerals has been this. And, and it's like this we should be grieving. Yeah. You know, we should be sad. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and at least have a, a, a fond farewell like the Irish do. Mm-hmm. But that, those are off. And it's yeah. interesting because the book, Jonah's totally in his feels. And he's all over the place. Yep. You have to take every thought captive. Is that one of the emotions versus? Yeah, it's taking, throw, yeah, the taking it. at you. Yeah. Take every yeah. thought captive, and I I remember as a person that struggles with ADHD, like how yeah, how the like, hell do I do that? That's not happening, Jesus. I'm so sorry you did not give me those neurotransmitters. Yeah, those fuckers are you. slippery. <laughs> capturing every thought, and so yeah, I those verses and things like that, or any verse honestly that had to do with being disciplined in the west and and the way that was always interpreted was in the the western way of being disciplined and emotionless and stoic mm-hmm. i was just like those got thrown at me all the time i was like i was just i'm i'm a spicy person and i i i am thankful that now i don't feel bad about it but i felt terrible yeah. about it for a, a long time yep that's true 
It's true. You can't, you can't, you can't really be fully yourself, which is, I mean, I guess they do say that at the door, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, come as you are, and we are going to make some major alterations. Yeah, come as you are. We're going to make you just like the rest of us. Jesus, asterisk. Our, White Jesus. Our, our interpretation of Jesus. Yeah, white Republican Jesus. Yeah. I, the funny thing is that I feel like I became more like Jesus, and that's why I left. So, mm-hmm. ha, check and mate, evangelicals. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, so should, should we tell people where to find us, where to find our shit? Yeah. Uh, you can find us, if you haven't found us already, at... <laughs> Go home Bible on the Twitters and the Instagrams. Uh, we usually, you know, post memes and some updates about things that we're doing, as well as you'll get updates on when stuff is is being dropped and what we're working on. You get little previews, so that's good times. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. You can also check out Patreon.com, and you can check out our Patreon. It's Patreon.com/slash Go Home Bible. Yeah. Pretty much everything is Go Home Bible, and at certain tiers, if you pledged at the youth pastor tier you get a life verse that we will begin rolling those out and reading those out loud uh basically we open up the bible we point to it and that is your life verse mm-hmm. wherever it is and no, that will be your official go life great. verse that'll be your official forever bible life verse for but now it, forevermore you make sure that they put that on your on your gravestone your life verse yes it's like there's lots of good stuff in there I suppose at some point we could offer a tier where we would give someone a gravestone. Okay. Okay. No, I'm done. No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not happening. No, it's not. But, but it was, it's it funny though. Might happen. No, it won't happen. Nope. Yeah. So you can find our stuff there as well as I am at Justin D Gentry on the Twitters. Mm-hmm. And I'm at Tori Glass. So you can see some of the other things we're up to because we have yeah. other things that we do. That we do with our lives. Other than bible things. It's amazing. It's great. Sweet. All right. Okay. We love you all. Have a good week. And we'll see you. Bye. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.